Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast where we are going back in the time machine to December of 1996 to bring you your UFC episode covering the ultimate, ultimate 1996 tournament showcasing some of the year's most popular fighters. Joining me on this journey back through MMA history, we have firstly Bob Bamber. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Bob. And also joining we have Tom Martin. Welcome back, Tom. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us as well. Good to have you back, Tom. Thank you very much. So, uh, this is Volume 4 of uh, the, the episode for this month. Volume 1 is your WCW episode, looking back at Starcade. Volume 2 is your WWF, taking a look at In Your House 12, It's Time. Volume 3, as always, is your ECW edition, including a review of Holiday Hell. This is Volume 4. As it's December, two bonus episodes this month. You've got your end-of-year review which is Volume 5, and Volume 6 is the End of Year Awards. Uh, they will just be wrestling end-of-year discussions. We're going to do a bit of end-of-year discussion looking back at 1996 in the world of the UFC and MMA generally, um, and we'll have a few end-of-year awards that we'll do at the end of this episode. So I'm going to throw over to Bob to talk about our patron and to kick us off with the Media Corner. Yes, as always, very briefly, we are now on Patreon for $5 a month. And this show, you this month, not that anyone's going to hear this that isn't on Patreon, but this month is a very good month for getting early access to shows. We were taping about three of them in the first two weeks of December. Um, but if you like early access to shows or just to say thank you for um, us enlightening your lives with wrestling, MMA, and even a bit of boxing, uh, you can do so for $5 a month. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs. Links on our website and in the podcast description. Now, Media Corner. Uh, not as busy as, as some months, which is good. Uh, this show was meant to be in Birmingham, Alabama, and it was in Birmingham, Alabama, so that's good. This was where they held the show in July also. Uh, USC 12 in February was, in theory, meant to be in uh, Niagara Falls, New York, or or get around to that near the time. Um, but a lot of the news coming into this show was actually what they were doing afterwards, because this was the end of year show, and it was just, uh, you know, ideally the eight best fighters in the world in one tournament. So there was no real mystery behind that. But interesting surrounding what they were planning to do going forward, because I've got a feeling this might be the last UFC show with a, a tournament that involves quarterfinals, semis, and finals, because from looking at cards from 97 and 98, there's a lot of tournaments still, but there are a lot of semis and final tournaments, so three matches rather than seven. Um, and this was starting at UFC 12 in February 97 as they were lining up two four-man tournaments, one for fighters over £200 and one for fighters under £200. Or as one of the commentators called it during this show, the little guys, not the best verbiage there. Um, the logic amongst other things was that they weren't able to attract some of the superior lighter weight fighters because they didn't want to go into a, a tournament where there'd be a significant weight disadvantage. So that was that. Changes to the card. Mark Colwyn, as we know, 5-0 and in UFC was meant to be uh, on this car, but he had to pull out due to illness. He was originally found to play planned to face Vitor Belfort who will be a, a name that more modern day USC fans will recognise but he had to pull out due to a torn meniscus in his knee. Belfort was basically going to be representing the Gracie camp um, even though he wasn't formally a Gracie. Um, it was actually thought that the Carmel withdrawal uh, there was a logic that it might actually be of a benefit given that it set up him to face Dan Seven on the next show without having a loss to his name and as it all turned out with Don Fry and what's going to come later on the show uh, that works out quite nicely other than that the only other card changes were regards um 
tournament bracketing uh, with USC. They were trying to, obviously, as we've discussed previously, trying to line up better tights in the tournament. Tournament, sorry. Uh, the original plan was to set up semi-finals of Colwood and Don Fry and Ken Sharrock and Tank Abbott. Um, but Colwood and Fry became quite good friends in part because of a, a, a mutual dispute over a coach. Uh, they said, we only want to fight each other if it's in the final. Obviously, once Colm pulled out, that became less of an issue. Uh, to save me just rambling on for another five minutes, Tom, thoughts on, on UFC 12 and the card changes for this show? Um, Mark Coleman is a, a huge loss for me. Uh, I, I was really looking forward to seeing him fight here again, and, and not just because of the win streak, just because I, I've really enjoyed seeing how he's looked and how he's improved, and uh, big loss. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean... This is, uh, touch on the point you, you, you were on earlier, Bob. This is the last event to feature um, without any weight classes. That's where the, the, the sort of mini tournaments came in, um, which is something that we'll talk about as the, the card goes on because some of the fights really demonstrate why it's so important that those were introduced and indeed are. Um, but yeah, there, there's a couple of things that happened during the card that we'll talk about, which, which is end of it or at least how we get there um but no the big loss is mark coleman but uh, otherwise we've still got some good, good fights on our hands here so look forward to talking through them chris yeah it's a big shame to lose coleman as as tom says i mean when you're doing the end of year tournaments showcasing the most impressive and popular fighters from the year uh he'd certainly be in an eight-man shortlist at the very least if not the number one pick for, for 96 so uh, a big loss to the card, but they had enough star power in terms of a UFC card for the Ultimate Ultimate to to get through this show. It was probably their biggest, in terms of names, um, their best card to date, possibly. Uh, they had some, a real good showcase of the, the top guys, and to put them all in a tournament uh, with only one winner was, was really, really good. Um, looking forward to seeing how UFC 12 plays out with the weight classes, or weight divisions, uh, rather than classes, I suppose. Um, it's going to give a lot more of a chance to fighters who have struggled. Someone like Mark Hall, who struggled in his fights, despite looking quite good, um, although he didn't on this show necessarily, but uh, because he's just been outpowered and out, outsized, basically. Um, some, some guys are able to overcome that. Some guys aren't, um, as we've seen through looking back through these shows and obviously having a David win the David in the life tournament. Um, it's going to be interesting. I think it's for the better. I think it's going to create greater competition at both levels and you're more, you're sorry, uh, more unlikely to have just one big guy such as a, a Mark Coleman, just run through competition. It, it's going to be more competition for Mark Coleman and more competition for people under 200 pounds. So I think it's, a mutually beneficial decision for the promotion and for the fighters. Yeah, ditto Ring Coleman. Uh, regarding the, 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 the weight split, I mean, I think it kind of had to happen. I mean, funnily enough, I think one thing we've kind of seen at various points during this year, and there's a fight we're going to review aside from the show later on that kind of illustrates that a bit bluntly as well, is that MMA is not, uh, you know, that you might have this conception that it's all about size. And one thing we've seen this year is that that certainly isn't the case. Um, but what I think we're seeing with the size disadvantages is we're seeing a lot of very similar kind of fights. They go to the ground, the big guy gets on top. As we saw tonight, big guy getting on top doesn't necessarily mean anything. But a lot of the fights, while they're quite good, are quite similar. Um, and so splitting it up even a little bit, I mean, you know, when, when we talk about USC having like, eight or nine men's weight divisions now compared to 
1996, having one and then moving into two. Even two is archaic compared to modern day standards, but it was certainly a step in the right direction. And it stops these quite wild 100, 150, 200 pound weight disadvantages in some cases, um, which is just a bit weird. Anyway. One name you might be wondering, where is he? Will be Dan Seven, obviously the UFC Superfight Champion. Dan Seven was at the building, um, and he also featured quite prominently in the show in a in a sit down interview. Um, but he wasn't obviously in this tournament. Now he was available, but Seven told promoters that he refused to be in the tournament because he didn't want to fight uh, three guys on steroids in one night. But did offer to fight the winner and said that he would have done the tournament had they have tested for steroids. Obviously that didn't come to be, but he did say. I'll fight the winner in February and that was basically one of the big talking points or one of the big points of the show the winner of the tournament would get to face down 7 in February at UFC 12 uh, more shenanigans before the fight fight at the hotel uh, I'm just going to read a paragraph verbatim from the Wrestling Observer here so be pretending I, I've read too much into this uh, I'm not clear on all the details on this but a Hells Angel type in Abbott's brigade basically uh, Tank Abbott's crew wound up throwing food on Frank Shamrock uh, perhaps afterwards had escalated in it wound up in a short brawl which by all accounts Shamrock won Frank obviously although four different versions exactly what happened were all different one other course report Shamrock may have violated USC protocol I did like this line not by getting into a fight in the hotel but one the one about kicking with shoes when the opponent has more than two points of balance on the ground I thought that was quite funny <laughs> uh, uh, another interesting note here we go let's talk about Monday USC comparisons um then it was announced, this was at the kind of press conference before the show, uh, that in the contract of the fighters, it specifically said that there could be no advertising on the clothing of any of the competitors or their seconds as they claim to the ring. Now, if you watch the show, you'll know that nobody paid attention to that. Uh, but I did see, I did think it was quite fascinating that um, even 20 years ago, they were already trying to span ads on, uh, on people's walkout gear. For a long while, that doesn't work. And then, of course, Reebok comes in and all that happens. Um, and then I mean about that, Chris. Any any thoughts on any of that before we uh, get into the main show? No, um, I think I think we're all good. I, I think the uh, I, I like the uh, story about Shamrock violating the UFC rules with the kicking. I think that's particularly particularly funny. Um, but yeah, all good to move on on my end. Tom, any more from you? No, let's go. No, I don't, the, only, the only thing I'd say, I, I, it would have been awesome if we'd have had this tournament and ha- including Mark Coleman and Dan Seven. Um, yeah. But I think, as, I think you know, as great as that would have been, I think we're going to see tonight why the eight-man, everyone really good tournament, everyone really good tournament format doesn't really work. And it's because if they're all really good, they've not got any legs to get through a competition. I That's think, why I think... As well. Sorry, Bob. Go on. Go on, Tom. No, I was just going to say, I think it's... I was going to say, I, th- I think, I think well, it's... There we go. I'll, I'll carry on. I, I just think that's why it doesn't work, because you just... You can't expect guys to go in walls in opening rounds and then fight twice more. And now this just about worked for reasons we'll get into, but a very good reason why I think in future they said, let's... We'll stick with the tournament thing, but let's maybe only do two matches rather... Or three matches rather than seven. Sorry, Tom. No, I was just going to say, uh, on a side note, really, that something that, again, that you'll see in modern-day UFC is w- the way you get people tuning in to every pay-per-view is to have pe- people, fighters, appear on, on some cards and not all of them. So the fact that Dan Seven wasn't on this card, um, but he's going to be on the next one, is enough to keep people watching the next one. Whereas if you had all your top talent on every card, um, you're not keeping any 
sort of jokers in the pack, so to speak. So um, that was just a side point. Really. I think it's important to uh, use your talent wisely. Yeah, and I think that was also one of the reasons why they wanted to add in two, uh, one of the other reasons to add in two weight divisions was, well, we can have two champions and then we can alternate them on shows. So yeah. we don't, we're not, we're not overly reliant on one guy appearing on all of these cards to have a headline bout. Um, and particularly while UFC in this stage, and we're going to see is a lot going forward. UFC on a lot of shows is just going to be flooding the market with guys we've not seen before. Some well-known names in there, let's be clear. From a 20 years ago, from a retrospective point of view, there's a lot of guys you're like, oh, he crops up quite early on. Um, but certainly from a in-time period type mode, they're going to be doing a lot of shows with a lot of new talent. And so being able to have a couple of guys that people have seen before that can be defending championships is of benefit. Uh, Chris, back to you. Okay, let's get going with the show review. So, live from Birmingham, Alabama, build as the Tournament of Champions. is UFC 11 more, 11.5, sorry, more commonly known as the Ultimate Ultimate 1996. Uh, the premise behind this show, as Bob said, pretty much the same as last year with the original Ultimate Ultimate. Some of the most popular and impressive fighters of the year in a single elimination eight-man tournament. Uh, the winner will receive uh, $150,000 as well as a shot at UFC Superfight Champion Dan Seven at UFC 12, as already explained by Bob. We have our host Bruce Beck who opens up the show that ex- explaining that Mark Coleman has been forced to withdraw much to the relief of every other fighter in this tournament, I'd imagine. Shall I rattle off However, the results, Chris? Uh, yeah, yeah, that would that would help. <laughs> always, always, uh, always going to remember to put those in. Yes, we start with the alternate bouts. I've got to navigate through Wikipedia because it's always in the wrong order. Uh, right, alternate bouts. Mark Hall defeated Felix Mitchell by TKO in 145. Steve Nelmark defeated Marcus Bossett by submission in choke in 137. And Ty Bowden defeated Jack Nilsson by headbutts in 446. I think there was also interesting enough. There was another the alternate that they had that hadn't fought anyone and I think as a result of the last show they thought as a worst case scenario let's at least have so we can plug into the final just in case I think there was another guy there that didn't even fight at all anyway onto the main card Ken Sharrock defeated Brian Johnson by submission in 548 Tank Abbott defeated Cal Worsham by submission in 251 Don Fry defeated Gary Goodridge by submission while Goodridge just Gave up because he was knackered in 11.19. And Kimo Leopoldo defeated Paul Violence by TKO uh, in 9.08. On to semi-finals, Tank Albert defeated alternate Steve Nelmark, replacing Ken Shamrock by knockout in 1.03. Don Fry defeated another alternate, Mark Hall, who's replacing Kimo. I think I've got those replacements the right way around, um, by submission uh, in 20 seconds. And in the final of UFC Ultimate Ultimate 1996, Don Fry defeated Tank Abbott by rear naked choke in 1 minute 22. Thank you, Bob. So yeah, as I say, our hosts, Bruce Beck, joining in, we have Jeff Blatnick and Tony Blair. Tony Blau, not Tony Blair, <laughs> who discusses how many of the top <laughs> fighters in the UFC have now begun training multiple disciplines and as a result are becoming increasingly multifaceted and well-rounded, which is an interesting uh, side note to start talking about 20 years ago when we're only, what, 11 and a half shows into the UFC's history. Uh, as Bob said, we have the three alternate bouts and uh, after that, we head straight into our first quarter final. So back over to you, Bob, to talk about the two fighters in the opening fight. 
Yes. Um, Ken Sharrock enters the Ultimate Ultimate with a 5-2-2 two, and two record in the UFC. Uh, the first ever UFC Superfight champion makes his first appearance since his infamous split decision loss to Dan Seven at UFC 9 in May. Infamous. Go back and listen to that show. Uh, small man here as Sharrock stands in at 6 feet tall and weighs in at 220 pounds. His opponent, Brian Johnson, wearing his signature American flag trunks, enters the tournament with a 2-2 two and two record, a losing semi-finalist at both UFC 10 and UFC 11. He stands in at six foot four and weighs in at 238 pounds and in my own notes i've got johnson has had to face fry coleman and now shamrock the guy can't catch a break that was what i put while i was watching this uh lost to fry lost the coleman Albert. oh now ken shamrock buddy chris no certainly not been an easy time of late for brian johnson uh, on my notes i put that both these guys certainly look a lot bigger than they normally do both look Certainly a lot more jacked. Uh, we're told that Johnson will look to keep things standing and Shamrock is a master of submissions and wants to take the fight to the ground. Once again, after his appearance at UFC 9 or 10, I believe it was, Bruce Buffer is no longer here and we have Manny Garcia running through the formal introductions. After that, Big John McCarthy gets us underway. After a brief feeling out process, Shamrock catches a kick from Johnson and drives him back towards the cage, taking him down in the process. Johnson gets guard, but Shamrock postures up and begins pummeling through with some heavy punches. Johnson has his head pinned against the cage and looks in real trouble here. Shamrock continues to rain down with hard shots from the top, and Johnson looks like he's going anywhere anytime soon. Johnson observes a plethora of right hands as he desperately tries to hold on to keep the distance to a minimum. Shamrock is just grinding him down slowly, taking no damage whatsoever as he powers his way through and he tries to end this fight as quickly as possible. The commentators note that Shamrock seems to have punched out his right hand as he begins only throwing strikes with his left. More on that later. At the five-minute mark, Shamrock begins landing some brutal-looking headbutts. He then shoves his forearm across the throat of Johnson and presses down hard. Johnson taps out there after five minutes and 48 seconds. Tom, over to you for the thoughts on the opening quarterfinal. Yeah, Shamrock mauling. Uh, I, I when, when when you saw the fighters lining up, I thought, okay, well, Johnson's um, five years younger than Shamrock, so he might have a little bit more spring in his step. Um, he's also 18 pounds heavier, um, so on paper you might look at it and say Shamrock's got a different different um, type of fight here to, to to go up against. But my God, um, Shamrock was so impressive in this fight for me. Um, the takedown at the start was really impressive. Um, I mean, the, the shots that he landed uh, when he was on top were really brutal. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you touched on it, Chris, with the fact that he switched to his left hand. Um, it was savage. Uh, and even the shots with the left didn't look like they were much easier to take either. And uh, he, he just didn't let, didn't let, um, Johnson move. Um, just, just didn't, didn't give him a chance to go anywhere, really. Um, and something I've got, something I've got, um, that I noticed is, um, that Shamrock was told, uh, by John McCarthy to not hold the fence on a couple of times. And this is the, the, first uh, UFC event where they made it a rule that you can't grab the fence. So I think before they would say it if it was prohibiting movement or defence in the fight, but this is the first one where they actually made it as a rule um, in, in my, from the research that I did. Um, and you can you can see that here. Shamrock was gripping onto it, um, and, and uh, yeah, Johnson could, had to, he couldn't he couldn't wriggle out, he couldn't defend, and it was a it was a, a merciful stoppage. And I felt 
well, quite sorry for Johnson, to be honest with you. I, I think, as, as you guys alluded to, I think he's had a pretty bad run of things. Um, but no, hugely impressive from Shamrock, and uh, I was very excited to see where he went after this. Uh, Bob, your thoughts on that fight? Well, I, 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 Chris, was it was it the, the Goodridge-Coleman fight from the last show where Goodridge ended up scaling the cage? Was that the one? Yes, oh, I yeah. believe so. Tom, I don't think Tom saw that, but I don't think holding on to the cage was any kind of problem before that, because Goodridge basically did it for about five minutes, or it felt like it. Um, but yeah, other than th- this was the first show where it was a rule they introduced that fighters couldn't hold on to the cage. Now, as we kind of saw in this one and in other ones, they were still doing it. Um, it even becomes a thing in the final as well. Um, but yeah, that certainly helped. But it's worth to know, I was reading the Observer before we came on air, a lot of people were talking up Brian Johnston a lot. There was the perception that Johnston was one of the toughest guys in the competition, certainly from the Shamrock camp, because I think they're in the same camp, which is part of why they, they rate him so highly. And the view that Johnston's a great boxer, a great kickboxer, and has all the other all-round training to where he's very good. And the point was, Shamrock had scouted a lot of Johnson's fights before, where he lost to Fry, where he lost to Coleman. And the big thing was, don't throw a kick the minute minute this fight starts. So what does he do? The fight starts, he walks towards the middle, he throws a kick, and Shamrock catches him. And Johnson didn't lay a hand on him for the rest of the fight. Um, Shamrock was very impressive, very, very impressive. But as we saw, punched himself out and, and hurt himself to the point where he couldn't continue. Yeah, a really dominant performance for Shamrock here, overpowering, taking Johnson down, relative ease, and as you say, Johnson wasn't able to do any damage from that point on. Um, at this point, uh, without the benefit of hindsight and knowing that Shamrock was a- was unable to continue, you're looking at the layout of this card and you're thinking, oh, Shamrock v. Don Fry in the final would be one hell of a fight. Um, as you say, though, Johnston is a bit of a conundrum with a 2-3 and three record now, but as you noted before the fight, uh, who his losses are coming against are all top guys in the promotion. But every time he's faced someone who isn't quite on that level, he's looked he's looked great. Um, so he's a bit of a conundrum, and um, obviously he'll be in the heavier of the two weight uh, weight divisions uh, come UFC 12. So it'll be interesting to see if he can ever put to give her a, a big win over a top guy necessarily or if he can make a, a real impact uh, within the sort of top level of that heavyweight division as it were but as it yeah uh, relatively comfortable win here for Shamrock had his game plan nailed on so we move on to the second quarter final at UFC Ultimate Ultimate so we move to Bob once again for the introductions of this fight Yes, the second quarterfinal, it's Don Fry versus Gary Goodridge. Fry enters the ultimate ultimate with a 6-1 and one record after his loss to Mark Coleman in the final of UFC 10. Previously defeated Goodridge via submission in just 2 minutes and 14 seconds in the final of the UFC 8 tournament. The 31-year-old weighs in at £217 and is the much smaller man. Gary Big Daddy Goodridge enters the tournament with a 3-3 three and three record and is also coming off a loss to Mark Coleman at UFC 10. Looking to avenge his loss from UFC 8, he weighs in at £263. Yeah, the size difference here, unlikely to face, uh, un- unlikely to face Don Fry, who was the victor, famously, of the David versus Goliath tournament. And as Bob said, that final of that tournament was a rematch of this fight with Fry taking on Goodridge in the final. Uh, 
Just as the fight is about to start, Bruce Beck then announces to us at home that he's just received word that Ken Shamrock is out of the tournament due to injury and will not be able to advance in the tournament. We aren't given a reason, but it is later revealed that it is due to an injured right hand. He'd apparently suffered a broken hand while raining down with punches with Johnson pinned against the cage early in the fight, which explains why he switched to his left during the opener. Steve Nelmark, who won his alternate bout earlier in the night, will take his place. Anyway, back to the second fight, and we are underway. They meet in the middle. Fry lands a right hand as they clinch. Fry forces Goodridge back against the fence, landing a knee and some uppercuts on the inside. Goodridge is able to counter, spins, and pushes Fry back against the cage, using his size to his advantage in a way we haven't seen from him very often. They break off, and after a brief exchange, they begin clinching again. Both men trade uppercuts and hooks in the clinch before Goodridge lands a knee to the body, which backs Fry off. They separate in the centre of the octagon, but Fry ties it up and drives the action back back against the cage, once again overpowering the much larger man. Both men are now landing their fair share on the inside, and Blacknit notes how Fry Fry is able to use Goodridge's gi to his own advantage by holding onto it to control Goodridge in the clinch. While holding on to the collar of the gi, Fry unleashes a flurry of uppercuts which all land cleanly and rock Goodridge. Goodridge closes the distance in the clinch, but recovers quickly. Out of nowhere, Goodridge is suddenly able to get a really surprising takedown and gets into side control. Fry scrambles into half guard and holds on tight. Goodridge lands a powerful right hand and follows her up with some short headbutts. Fry looks suddenly in real trouble. Out of nowhere again, Fry manages to transition into full guard, and Goodridge isn't really doing much here. Suddenly, Fry looks for an armbar from the bottom, and in a lovely submission attempt, but Goodridge is able to avoid it. Goodridge begins looking exhausted, despite being the fighter on top. Fry looks for another armbar, but this time rolls through onto all fours as Goodridge avoids it. Fry grabs a single leg and is able to take Goodridge down and put him on his back. Goodridge immediately taps out after falling into that position to give Fry the submission victory after 11 minutes and 19 seconds. Bob, thoughts on that fight? What a fucking win that was. Jesus. What a hero Fry is. I mean, once once it got to the ground, like, Goodridge was pounded away, and Fry, to his credit, like, the one thing we... We see very, very inconsistently with all these UFC fights this guy's inability or ability, depending on which way we're looking at it, to defend on the ground. And Friday, a fantastic job on the ground, depending a lot of these punches. And at one point in my notes, I thought, or I, I put in my notes, that it seemed to me that Fry was just trying to conserve energy and wait for his spot. And there's another match later on the show where a similar kind of thing happens. And then, yeah, Goodrich just runs out of legs, runs out of energy. Fry manages to wrestle out of it. And... What would have been interesting, and I know there was an overtime, but it would have been interesting because there was only 40-odd um, seconds left in the 12-minute round. We would have gone to an overtime. Would have been, how did Goodrich have not tapped out in the 40, or had, had not lost in that final 40 seconds? Chris, who would have won that fight if it had gone to a judge's decision? Because it would have been Goodrich, right? Yeah, absolutely. If, if, if there was no overtime period and Goodrich had not tapped out and managed to survive 40 seconds then I would have said he'd taken the better of the fight and would probably unanimously have taken the decision there. So it's a bit, bit pretty interesting. 
And admittedly, he might have just got beat the fuck up in the last 40 seconds. Maybe that was part of the point. Um, but yeah, he was absolutely knackered by the time Fry flipped him over. Um, but Fry, we call him the Don. He is Don. Um, what an amazing performance to take that kind of beating and to survive it. Fantastic. Tom, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I thought this was a good fight, actually. Um, I mean, it, by all accounts, it, it didn't disappoint. I think um, uh, uh, Goodridge actually has improved since uh, we last saw him. Uh, when it when it hit the ground, I mean, a lot of this fight was in the clinch, but when it hit the ground, I thought that uh, Goodridge's, uh, Goodridge controlled it. Uh, he dictated it on the ground a lot. Um, but Fry's, as Bob alluded to, Fry's um, defence um, and, you know, some of the offence when it was in the clinch was uh, just so impressive. Um, and I, the end of the fight, it, it really was disappointing because I, I, I absolutely agree. I would love to have seen um, how it would have finished up if he hadn't tapped out. And it was so, for 40 seconds. I mean, he just wanted to save his face, I think. He, he just, and he was just. Well, I got... remember, he's not going to know how long's left in that round. He's probably got a decent idea, and, and you can try and ask John if you're in the kind of position. But he's not necessarily going to be thinking 40 seconds to go. And he might have done, he might have carried on. But if you've been on the ground for a few minutes, you might, you, your, your perception of how long's left in the round might not be that strong. So we say yeah. there was only 40 seconds left. I don't know what he knew at the time, but I'm probably going to make a good guess that he probably didn't know for certain. No, that's fair enough. I mean, in terms of the way that the fight went, it wasn't like um, um, Fry was dominating completely and and could, Goodrich couldn't get couldn't get a move in, couldn't actually put anything together. You know, it was a pretty it was a pretty fair fight, really. There was offense from both. That there was a great takedown from Goodrich, um, and yeah, those uppercuts from Fry were landed. Really cleanly. Goodrich showed a chin. Fry showed a chin, and uh, it, it was just a bit of a disappointing end to a, to a good fight. Um, but yeah, Don Fry is Don and continues to demonstrate that. So yeah, good fight. Yeah, it was a really really exciting fight. Uh, as you both said, really impressive from Fry to be able to be able to survive on the bottom for as long as he did under the much heavier guy. Um, let alone being able to escape that position and take Goodrich down. I say finish the fight, but Really good, Ridge sort of called time on it himself there with the pretty anticlimactic ending. He was just exhausted. I, I remember after the Mark Schultz fight um, against Goodridge, Goodridge cut that hilarious promo where he says he 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 trained superior. It, it was superior size, superior strength, but he forgot cardio or something like that. So he was going to put the weights down. And, and train some stamina or something, something along those lines was the general gist. He forgot to train cardio basically. Um, and I mean, that's, that was kind of his, what let him down here. He was just, he had nothing left in the tank. He wouldn't have been able to defend himself properly with, with that little energy. And I think he just thought rather than take any more unnecessary punishment on the bottom, he just called time on the fight. He didn't feel like he was going to win. I mean, as, as we say, there was, 40 seconds left in the fight, but it would have been the mandatory overtime anyway. So had he got through 40 seconds, I, I can't imagine he would have had enough to get through the extra three minutes at the end either. So uh, we move on to the third quarterfinal. Uh, and yeah, uh, so over to Bob with the fighter profiles. Yes, third quarter final, Tank Albert versus Cal Worsham. Tank Albert enters the uh, octagon with a 4-3 and three record, coming off his loss to Scott Ferrozo at UFC 11. More on that later on. Uh, the street fighter, 
as is known, weighs in at 273 pounds, having lost 25 pounds since his last fight. He does look better, but he still does look in what I would call Tank Abbott shape, if I'm being kind. His opponent, Cal Wershon, specialises in Taekwondo and enters the, U- the Octagon with a one and one record. His last fight came in at UFC 9 in December 1995. UFC 9, December 95. Chris, that's not the same show. Uh, he's the much lighter man, weighing it at 230 pounds. That would have been UFC 9 in February 96. That would have been right, wouldn't it? Maybe his last fight was at the Ultimate Ultimate then. One of the two. Anyway. I would think he hadn't fought in 96, yet qualified for this. Yes, that's a good point, actually. Well, he, he, I think he would have been a... Uh, no. Anyway of that on-air production meeting. Chris, back to you. <laughs> yeah, um, the announcer's pushing this one as the good guy versus the bad guy, with former Marine Warsham taking on Street Fighter Tank Abbott. Uh, as Bob noted, I was sort of initially sceptical of how Warsham qualified for this tournament, seeing as this was his first fight of 96, and this is sort of the showcase of the year's best fighters. But I think he was Mark Coleman's replacement, which goes on to explain that. The winner of this goes on to face Ken Shamrock replacement Steve Nelmark. Warsham throws a big right hand to open, but Tank charges forward, swinging, and forces Warsham back into the fence. Warsham lands a hard knee to the body, but Tank is able to lift him up, attempting the takedown. Warsham holds onto the cage, and Tank nearly throws Warsham out over the top of the octagon, which is an amazing visual. Warshan hangs on to the top of the octagon desperately, but eventually ends up on his back in the guard. Tank gets into side mount, manoeuvres for position before standing and diving back down into the guard with a punch. Warshan manages to defend a barrage of strikes from Tank. Tank slowly grinds his way through, landing a couple of big punches, and Big John steps in to end the fight up to just two minutes and 51 seconds. Uh, Tom... Your thoughts on the fight before we get into uh, the afters? Yeah, sure. So, um, what a what a fight! I re- I really really like this one. Tank Abbott is um, never fails to be anything but entertaining. Uh, and the way they pitch this, I get uh, you know good guy versus bad guy. I can see why they're doing that. Tank Tank Abbott has that natural you know pro wrestling term uh, heel uh, quality about him. He just does not care what people think. He doesn't want to uh, be anything. Than other than what he is, or at least that's what's projected for us to see. Uh, whether that's, that's actually him or whether they're telling him to be like that, I don't know. I don't think they are because the way he acts and the stuff we hear about that happens outside. And the guy is just—he just does not give a shit. Um, and yeah, this fight was good. Um, I, I love the way it started. Absolute slugfest, throwing throwing rights and lefts um, from the, from the bell. Um, and yeah, I, I, Tank's power really was, show, was showcased here. Um, I mean, that throw where he almost put him out the, out the cage, that was, I mean, what, as you say, Chris, what a visual. You talk about like highlight reels. I've, I've, I've never seen that before. He, he, he was only a foot away from chucking him over. And it he, was like, he, it was, oh. Coleman nearly chucked Fry over the cage in July. Um, it, oh, you're right. So he did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well. Um, this this was a bit more like I, I watched that and I didn't think Cole was going to try and throw him over. Knowing Tag Abbott, it wouldn't have surprised me if he was trying. But no, not the first time that sort of nearly happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you know after after that, well, after after um, Wersham was clinging on for for dear life, there was a huge takedown, and you, it's one of those takedowns where you can you, almost the, the gas comes out of your chest when you see it happen, um, and the crowd loved it. Um, yeah, there was some decent defence from um, Worsham on the ground. 
Uh, and Tank was patient, um, but he, he had the weight and he had the strength. Um, the finish was strange um, uh, in that we couldn't see it from the camera angle that we had. Um, and there, there's a lot that happened after that as well. But um, we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. But no, it was, it was a really good fight. And uh, Tank just, just it was, an, again, a real sort of dominant. Uh, he really dominated it. And um, yeah, he, he's rolling on to the, to the semis. Uh, Bob, your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, there's a there's a reason why there isn't a direct correlation between popularity and skill in in, in UFC. Um, even in 2016, there is always a slight difference. Some of the some of the most popular fighters aren't necessarily the best. Um, Tank Abbott fits that description perfectly. In that, there's a lot of about Tank Abbott's fighting game that isn't great, but he is a fantastic fighter to watch because it's very just in your face. You know exactly what you're getting with Abbott, and he is just a brawler. Um, and this fight kind of showed that. The stuff on while they were on their feet was fantastic to watch. When he picked up Worsham, and he got quite close to getting him over that cage. Worsham had to, he got him quite high up. And then he just, I mean, it wasn't really a takedown. It was more like a spine buster, like Arn Anderson style. He got that much height. Uh, it was more like a throw. Um, and if you're Cal Worsham and Tank Abbott slamming you down to the mat with all of that weight kind of hitting you as you hit the deck, you're in a lot of trouble, um, and he was in a lot of trouble, and we'll come to the finish in a sec. Yeah, it was a, a crazy fight. The uh, I, I had it in my notes exactly as you said, Bob. Um, we saw uh, Coleman and Fryan nearly be thrown out of the cage. Um, I, As this was happening, I thought, my God, Abbott is going to try and throw him out here. Like, like This is the exact type of character he is. He's he's perfect for the UFC at this stage because he is box office. He is someone that people will pay to see fight and pay to see talk, and he can talk people into buying a pay per view. He's he, he, it is all pro wrestling terminology, but he is that perfect heel. But he's he's just fantastic to watch, as as Tom said. Um, Interesting, yeah, quickly so, on, on the cage thing. Sorry, Chris, just cut you off. But I wonder if he'd have thrown him over. Do you think UFC in 2016 would have had a cage that was about a foot higher? I just wonder whether, like, if if someone I think it is it, higher now. Is it? I just wonder whether, like, if someone had ever been thrown over the top, whether they would have said, "Shit, this isn't high enough." Uh, but we got pretty close. It seems uh, this Tom, this looks about right to me. I don't know. I ain't got a tape measure out, but it looks about similar. Yeah, it's five foot. Nine, I think, or something like that. The cage at this point, and I, I, I can't, um, I haven't got it written down as to what the current measurement is. But it, it wouldn't. I mean, I, what I found really curious would just be to think, what would they have done if he'd actually done it? You know, do they have to restart the fight? I imagine they would, because the, if the fight is not in the cage, the fight has to stop. It's no, it's no different to leaving through the door, which would be equally ridiculous and, and confusing. Um, but it would have been quite something to see how it, how it happened, and it, and it didn't. In my, to my knowledge, it hasn't happened. Well, if, if it was uh, if it was WCW, Abbott would have lost by disqualification, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that, Chris. Back to you. No, 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 no problem. Uh, yeah, so we'll talk about the finish in a bit more detail here. So, as Tom said, there we couldn't quite see what led directly to the finish when Big John threw himself in to end the fight just before the three-minute mark. So immediately after that, Worsham stands up and he is going nuts. He charges right towards Tank Abbott, and Big John has to dive in front of the two and manhandle him, attempting to hold him back. Walsham is screaming that Tank needs to be disqualified. Big John 
shouting in his face, telling him to knock it off. Replays eventually show that Warsham, in fact, tapped out after Tank Abbott landed a clean, big right hand. And when I say big right hand, it was a hard punch. So he landed this punch, Worsham taps out, McCarthy is stepping in, but Tank continued to throw and landed at least three more punches for good measure. You can understand Worsham's frustration, but considering the timing of McCarthy getting involved, I'm not sure a DQ is ever really particularly justified. Uh, It's not like McCarthy was dragging him off and he was continuing to throw. He did stand up relatively quickly as soon as McCarthy... Uh, got on in there, but Worsham, in the same way, did take a few more hits to the face after the tap, but if this wasn't a slow stoppage, and it didn't seem to me like Abbott particularly rained down on him after McCarthy had pulled him off. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts on the whole finish, and who's to blame for this fallout? Was Worsham in the wrong here? Was McCarthy, or, or was Tank? Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, through the benefit of replay technology, you can get a good look at what happened. Because at the time, I really couldn't work out what happened. I just thought he must have tapped out because he was getting his face caved in. Um, but when, when you look back and, and what happened after it, um, personally, I think Virgin overreacted a little bit. Um, but I think that's a reaction to getting his face caved in. Um, and Tank did get a shot in after, after the fight ended. But, you know... Things happen in, 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 in combat sports um, when, you know, it happens in all sports. When, when the whistle goes or the bell goes, it's not heard, or at least that's what the, the, the competitors say. Um, but Tank just does not care. And it, it reminded me of um, the recent event in, in, you know, we talk about modern day UFC when uh, big country Roy Nelson kicked John McCarthy after the fight. And it's one of those things. Everybody, everybody went up in arms about should he have done it? Should he have been disqualified? What's the punishment? And it's such a high energy sport and such, such, um, uh, you know, they're so, these guys are on the absolute, like, they're pushing everything to the max. This sort of thing, it's gonna happen in, in, in my eyes. Um, but I am a tank fan and maybe I'm just in his corner because I just, I just want to see him punch people. Um, but no, it, it, through, through the replays and, and the commentary, it was made clear. Um, but I think it was overblown a little bit personally. Bob, your thoughts on all of this? I'm not sure anyone was in the wrong, really. Um, from Tank's perspective, I mean, okay, it is, if Tank sees the tap, then he's been a bit of a dick, but I'm not convinced he can see it. Tank's quite close in, kind of on the top of, um, on the top of Worsham, and Worsham's taps with an outstretched arm, outstretched towards John McCarthy on the left, on, on his left hand side. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Tank didn't see it. And so Tank, uh, in that stage, is completely okay to throw another punch. He still thinks the fight's going on. I don't think you can blame John McCarthy, because he got in as quickly as he could, but he's got to stand at a certain distance so he can see what's going on. So he can't immediately jump in the minute Worsham taps. He's obviously got to get there, and that takes a a half a second of time for uh, Tank to throw another punch. And if I'm Worsham, I can understand why I'd be pissed off, because in my mind, I've tapped out and the guy's taken another shot. I don't think anyone was in the wrong here. I just think it's one of those things that's happened. And it's also a message and a reason why a lot of UFC fighters do this. If you're going to submit, tap on your opponent, not the map, because then your opponent doesn't have the excuse. Yeah, I agree, Bob. And I would just say that it, when when, um, t- when Tank was coming in with those rights, it, when you when you swing with your right, you swing with your shoulder. And his his viewpoint was sort of like at a slight angle to his left. And, and John McCarthy was on his right and, and Versham tapped with his left hand. So I agree with you. I don't think he saw it. Anyway, just wanted to add that. No, I think that's a 
that's the perfect assessment, really. I think all three guys, no one was really in the wrong necessarily, as as you say. What, yeah, Worsham took another punch and, and felt aggrieved. McCarthy got in quickly, and Tank, to my mind, didn't see the tap and continued continued the fight in the manner he should have. But it's just a byproduct of the sport, I guess, at this stage. And as you say, the only way to really guard against this sort of thing would be to tap out on the fighter. Um, yeah, I think that's a perfect assessment, really. It, it does add to the aura of Tank Abbott, though. Just everything else, even <laughs> even completely by accident, as I think it probably was. You know, getting a shot in, <laughs> getting a shot in after a fight it does add to the whole Tank Abbott thing. I'm not saying I say I, I think he was, I think he's perfectly innocent of the situation, but it does just add to everything else that it's just Tank Abbott. Is it, it, it? I said it earlier, but it, he is box office, and with with characters like this, even when they're not creating drama drama does tend to follow them around and this was an example of that nothing really was uh, deliberately done wrong by anyone involved but he's still at the center of a controversy uh for a brief period with with a fighter screaming that he should be disqualified so yeah drama seems to follow those type of people around and that certainly happened to tank habit here so with that we move on to our final quarter-final of the tournament. Over to Bob for the introductions. And in the fourth quarter-final, it's Kimo Leopoldo, or just really known as Kido, Kimo versus Paul Valens. Kimo enters this fight with an 0-2 record in the USC, but he's 5-2 in MMA. The Pancration Specialist has dropped a lot of weight since the last time we saw him in a loss to Ken Shamrock Wanian at £235. His opponent, Paul Valens, enters this with a 4-3 USC record. I suppose that should be a 4-4 MMA record after his loss to Taz. Uh, coming off a decision victory at USC 8 in February. He is by some distance the heavier man, uh, weighing in at a mammoth 340 pounds and standing in at 6 foot 8. And it should also be said that Lord Leopoldo, uh, they were saying he dropped a lot of weight and looked significantly better than he did last time. Not that he looked bad last time, but svelte was, I think, the word they uh, they used for him, and I, I can't disagree. No, absolutely. Kimo had really trimmed down here, and Paul Valens was as big as ever, over a hundred pound weight difference between these two. Um, so it's interesting to see how it played out. With the fight underway, Kimo shoots in for a single leg immediately, but Violence spools back and lands some elbows to the head. Kimo is actually able to overpower the much larger man and for- forces Violence back towards the fence. Violence is able to avoid the takedown still and land some punches of his own. Kimo then tries inexplicably a shoulder throw and just ends up on the bottom in half guard. Volins on top lands some left hands and is able to avoid an armbar attempt from Kimo by clubbing away with his right hand. Volins ends up back in Kimo's guard, but continues to rain down with the punches. Kimo is cut and begins bleeding quite badly just by his left eye. Volins begins to slow down his strike rate significantly, clearly tiring, and Kimo continues to survive on the bottom. The fight continues in pattern for some time, with Kimo hanging in there and landing some of his own strikes from the bottom. Suddenly, Kimo is able to slide out to the side and reverse into full mount, which was pretty spectacular. He opens up and unleashes some heavy punches to Valen's face to earn the TKO victory from Valen's corner throwing the towel. The crowd popped big for that finish, having been behind Kimo throughout the entire fight. Bob, your thoughts on that? 
Another fucking brilliant fight, right? I mean, uh, you know, th- th- this is what I kind of said at the start regarding the, the size difference and, and why it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, Kimo looked really good to survive all of that. Um, defended quite well, and I was kind of concerned, and you know, the fact that he doesn't fight again on this card, I think, kind of showed it, but that he's expending a load of energy defending, but he managed it, and he just outlasted violence, waiting for his spot, and took it, half-rolled it, and then finished it off, and, and Violin's side chucked in the towel. It actually wasn't a bad fight for Violin's either. There was kind of, you know, thought going into this that, like, he didn't belong at the, the top level, um, and the fact that he lasted nine minutes with a guy that a lot of people rate a lot. We haven't seen that on these shows, but as we, as we kind of reference in those fighter profiles, his overall MRA record is a lot stronger than his UFC record. Um, and Varland's being able to hang with a guy like Kimo, who's got that kind of record, look good on him. But Kimo looked really good, very similar to the Fry Goodrich fight. The larger man dominated, but the smaller man showed enough skill to weather a barrage. The larger man punched himself out, and the smaller man took control. Two very similar fights in that regard, and both excellent. Tom, your thoughts on that fight? Yeah, I agree with uh, Bob for the most part. This was another great fight. I... Um, I, I... I do have issues with it, though, and, uh, and my, my main issue is the fact that you know, Rollins is just so fucking big uh, in comparison to Kima. I mean, the whole fight I spent thinking, although I, although I did think it was good, actually, it was better than I thought it would be. That's why I started by saying it was great. I, I spent most of it thinking I wish these guys were a bit more fairly matched. But, but the reason why Kima got that reaction he did at the end and the rap, why he got so much respect from me in this fight is uh, how he weathered the storm and, you know, had a guy that was over 100 pounds bigger than him and just outclassed him, outmaneuvered him, outstruck him and just showed his showed his, the quality of his game. Um, there, there were some absolute like, hammer fists from Varland at, at, at the start. Kimo took him. Um, you know, Varland's laid... When, when, when he was on top of Kimo and um, Kimo tried to get an arm lock in, it just he was too big. When there's that much weight on you, you haven't got the the ability to manoeuvre yourself, A, to get out, and B, to put anything, any sort of sequence of moves together to to even get his arm behind him. Because if someone's if someone's that much wider than you, you haven't got the, the movement of your right arm to, to, to get their left behind them or anything like that. So it's a very frustrating fight to watch when you just um, think if there was a if there was a, if it was a more equal size difference, there would be better uh, opportunities for the fighters to show what they're good at. However, Kimo came across very well. Um, he landed some really big shots at the end um, when Big John stepped in. And, you know, you could see at the end of this fight how much it, of an impact it had had on Kimo. He looked knackered, really knackered. Um, and, you know, that, again, is partly due to the fight. It went a good nine minutes. But also the weight difference is a big part to play in that. Uh, but we'll touch on that in a second. Yeah, I thought this was another fantastic fight. As Bob said, very similar to the Brian Goodridge fight. Um, fantastic from Kimo. He looked absolutely spent at the end of that. Violence just didn't really have the skill to to do enough to end the fight once he had Kimo down. Or not necessarily didn't have the skill, but didn't have the skill to match Kimo on the ground, despite the over 100 pound weight difference. And Kimo showed amazing heart to survive that position. And as you say, Tom, that the feat of escaping that position and coming away with a victory is, is no small feat. Um, both guys were absolutely shattered after that fight and uh, it wasn't particularly long. 
it was a, an, another great fight, and uh, I think all four of these quarterfinals have been uh, really enjoyable so far. Chris, fair to say this is the best first round we've seen since we started doing this show? I'd agree with that entirely. I mean, without going back and having the cards in front of me, I, I'd, I'd say this is definitely the most memorable um, I, in terms of quarterfinal action. I mean, you've had highlight real moments that have taken place in quarterfinals that, that may have trumped uh, collectively these fights in terms of individual moments, some of which we may touch on in the end-of-year discussion. Uh, but uh, in terms of a collection of four fights, these have been excellent. Um, they've been competitive, and I think that speaks volumes about the, the, the level of guys in these fights because Kimo winning this fight, if if you put a four of 350-pound guy in there who isn't Paul Varlands, we've seen, we've seen monsters in there like uh, Koji Katal, for example, lose to Mark Hall, who was 180 pounds, and I think Koji Katal was best part of 400. And he lost to him in 12 seconds, the, the bigger guy. I mean, power and uh, size and body mass counts for very little when you don't have skill. So when you bring the skill up of these these much larger fighters, and they're much closer in skill level, although certainly still half a level or two below the smaller fighter. It makes for a much more interesting fight as the little fighter really has to dig deep to... I say little fighter, Kimo's massive, but <laughs> the smaller fighter really has to dig deep and find something a bit extra as well as that skill level to, to implement their level of ability in the cage. Um, it makes for excellent contests, although, as we see with the second round, with, with two people dropping out... Um, Excellent contests initially, but not particularly suited to the uh, eight-man single elimination seven-fight tournament. Uh, next up, we have an interview with uh, Big John McCarthy as we uh, have a little space before we get straight into our semi-finals. He doesn't have a whole lot to say. Um, he just explains that Valen's defeat was basically all came down to cardio and Valen's own fatigue. Um, the interviewer then says... Uh, a hilarious question, which uh, in modern day wrestling standards, this is the, the exact type of reaction uh, you would have with some of the uh, backstage interviewers on Raw and SmackDown and things like that. So Big John is asked, let's talk about the Worshan Tank Abbott fight. Big John just stares blankly at the interviewer, interviewer and says, okay, <laughs> and waits for a question, which I thought was particularly funny. Um, he's, he then just explains um, what the controversy was about at the finish of the fight. Uh, he says that Warsham was upset with what he deemed a couple of late punches from Tank Abbott, but it, um, Tank was continuing in the tournament and there was not too much wrong with it, really. Uh, then we get a look at the highlight of Steve Nilmark's alternate victory earlier in the evening. We see him successfully securing a takedown, landing a flurry of headbutts and getting the submission victory as his opponent taps out. So uh, with that, it's time for our first semi-final. Uh, Bob, yeah, over to you. Uh, yes, first semi-final, Tank Abbott versus Steve Nelmark. Abbott enters the semi-final with a 5-3 and three record after his victory earlier in the evening. He weighs in at £273. His opponent, an alternate in the tournament, replacing the injured Kem Shamrock. Steve Nelmark enters the fight with a 2-0 record, weighing in at £250. Thank you, Bob. Um, so the fight starts. Tank comes out fast with a big left hand. Uh, he backs Nelmark against the cage and lands a huge body slam down onto Nelmark's head right out of the gate. 
Nelmuk grabs a headlock in half guard, but Tank powers out, and the action goes back with both guys standing. Tank lands a barrage of punches, which send Nelmuk staggering backwards. Tank continues to press forward, clearly looking to end this fight early. He lands a huge right hand, which knocks Nelmuk absolutely out cold. He drops unconscious at a horrible angle, which is really difficult to watch. It's not so much the KO or the punch, but as he falls, he sort of lands with his upper half of his body leaning against the cage, and his neck just sort of flops to the side at almost 90 degree angle. It, it looks terrible. Like if you, it, it look, if you said his neck was broken, I, I'd have believed believed you outright. It was a one of the most uh, definitive. Uh, knockouts in early UFC history. So that brings to the end uh, the fight after just one minute and three seconds. The camera cuts away from Nelmark as Tank Abbott is officially declared the winner. There's Eventually though, Nelmark is able to be helped to his feet and the tension in the arena is relieved as he is okay. Uh, Tom, over to you with your thoughts on uh, that fight. Steve Nelmark is dead. <laughs> That's not that's not a statement. That's what I've got written down. Uh, this, now, UFC fans will all have seen this in like highlight reels or comp, you know compilation videos, whatever, over the years. This finish is one of the most sickening visuals that you I've ever seen in, in UFC. It's in the top five. When you talk about uh, something that looks, you, if you look, look look on the from the outside in. You look at it and say, good Lord, that man has either got a broken neck or he is, as I put in my notes, um, uh, 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 dead uh, and now a corpse. So the fight itself, there wasn't really a fight. Tank Abbott, absolutely. Um, but that finish, I, I, it's, it's impossible really to remember this fight. And I may, you, you may say Tank Abbott's career, um, uh, aside from this moment here, uh, uh, it's really uncomfortable to watch. Uh, the, cr- the crowd gasped. The um, commentators really ch- tuned up and said, good Lord, what has actually happened here? And it was one of those moments where you, your eyes go wide and you think, good Lord, what's actually happened here? So, yeah, yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it, you, you must be living under a rock or you've, maybe you've only just started watching, in which case, check this out. It is unbelievable. Uh, Bob, over to you. Yeah, I mean, just uh, just another chapter in the Tank Abbott story, right? I mean, the the punch he hit that knocks him out visually isn't... It's a good punch, I mean, let's be clear. It's not visually the most impressive punch you're going to see even of the night. It's not even visually the most impressive punch that Abbott throws. But the the kind of ragdoll nature that Nelmark just kind of collapses in his own footprint and he ends up kind of knees bent, body kind of slouched up and leant up against the fence and his neck over to one side looks fucking horrendous. And, you know, we talk about the strength of the first round fights. This is where we talk about it's a difference in standard between having good first round opponents and not. You get much more wild fights, but you don't get much more even fights. Abbott was all over it. This was a massacre. Um, and yeah, the, the exclamation point is the bit people are going to remember, but Abbott did some equally as wild shit earlier on this fight as well. Um, but yeah, just a massively one-sided victory and one of the most visually impressive finishes of a UFC fight I've ever seen. This this was absolutely wild. It was frantic. It's typical of what you get out of Tank Abbott every time he steps into the cage. Um, it's a career-defining um, 
a career highlight knockout for Tank Abbott. I mean, that the visual of how his body crumples and the the angle his neck is 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 haunting. I mean, it's I've not seen many knockouts like this anywhere in any in any combat sport really. Um, it and as you say, it was just a massacre. He dominated him from the start of the fight, and uh, that finish, as you say, wasn't even the most significant. Well. Significant or, or skilled necessarily fight, uh, punch that Abbott threw, but the, uh, effects were devastating and you could tell from the tone the announcers took in the immediate aftermath of the fight. There was genuine concern whether Nelmark was, was okay, maybe even alive or was his neck broken or what. And it, once, once word got, got out that he was okay, it, it sort of tension calmed down. Um, and knowing that he was okay in the aftermath of this, so like, I mean, you feel less guilty <laughs> enjoying it so much because it it was um it was uh, stunning. Oh, I just watched it back. I look even worse than <laughs> I remembered it. Uh, yeah, it is, it is, it's the angle of the neck more than anything for me. It, like it's, it's it's almost like it doesn't have any bones left in it. It's terrible. His knees are his his lower legs are kind of on the mat. He's then otherwise led over completely kind of folding back over his legs. And then, yeah, his neck is kind of, his neck is pointing in the direction his shoulder is pointing in. Like that yeah. kind of, like, like, God, that's horrible. I'm going to have to turn this off. Hey, I can't, I'm going to go for the rest. Go on, you just had a human body and you removed the muscles in the neck, muscles from the legs, and then just threw that human body against the cage. That's probably how it would land and how it would look. Yeah, so yeah, ragdoll. Absolutely ragdoll. Um, this point, let's go to Bruce Beck. He is with Scott Ferrozo. Thank you very much, Jeff Scott, the man from Shakopee, Minnesota, who was so impressive in the last UFC, defeating David Tank Abbott. Are you frustrated you're not here at the Ultimate Ultimate? You know, I am so upset. There ain't any reason why I shouldn't be in there whooping Tank Abbott again. Would you have gone down in a minute five? You know what? I ain't going to ever, ever, ever crumble under another punch again. Never. What about the concept, Scott? You've got to prove yourself to earn your right into the ultimate ultimate. Well, look at Dave Abbott. He's in the semi- He's in the finals. He's been a finalist in a UFC, young man. Yeah, but I can crush him. Doesn't matter. Don't matter to me who I come across. I only want the best to fight me. I can do it, and everybody knows it. What's and that's the- why I'm not in this tonight, because they know that I'm going to spoil things around here. They don't want me in here. They want all these pretty boys in here. But they know somebody that's intelligent can come in here that is pretty like me, can come in here and spoil the UFC. I'm the guy that they should have put in here, and they know it, and they don't even want to talk to me down here. You were clearly out of shape in your first loss to Jerry Boland. I don't want to talk about Jerry Boland. I'm so far beyond. It's history, Scott. Well, it's not, yeah, exactly. It's history, so let's never bring it up again. All right, what about the tank battle? How do you explain your victory there? I was ready. I wanted Tank. You know, Tank had a big reputation. He's a great fighter. He, he doesn't have no quit in him, but it doesn't matter. I beat Tank. I should be here, and everybody knows it. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. I should be here, and they know I should be Pitbull, here. Pitbull, you get your chance in February. Don't keep moving over here. <laughs> I'll get my prance in February. I want their best guy. Whoever wins this, they're going to fight Dan Severn. I'll be there, and I'll be ready to kick some butt. 
you'll have to go into a main draw before you get a guy like Severn. You've got to prove uh, yourself. Yeah, I'll prove myself. It doesn't matter. I'll prove myself. I can do it in here. I know it. They know it. And that's why they don't want me in here tonight. Because they don't want to get somebody, a chance like me, that's smart, can talk, to come in here and take all their money. A bit cocky, a bit arrogant, wouldn't you say? Hey, well, you know, we're all the best. What's with the shades? Hey, these are shades. These are eyewear. All right, Scott. Don't push me again. Good luck, man. All right, thank you. Bye All right. Guys. We're getting set for the next semifinal. You can see the reaction of Ferrozo. He says the women love him, but he's married to the lovely Joanne. But still, he flirts and he talks a good game. We'll see how good of a fighter Before we move on to the second semifinal, we have uh, one of my favorite UFC promos, which I had not seen until we gone back to uh, watch this show. But well, we had an interview here with uh, Scott Ferrozo, and uh, you're going to hear the entire interview. Um, so I won't recap it in, in great detail. But Ferrozo here, he cuts a stereotypical sort of arrogant heel-style promo that he's wearing shades for good measure. The basic premise is that he's very frustrated that he isn't in this tournament whooping Tank Abbott again. He says he's being held back by the UFC brass because he doesn't fit their profile of a star, and he doesn't want to discuss his losses because they are just history. Uh, Beck, who's conducting the interview, is rebutting almost everything Ferozo says, and Ferozo just keeps countering. They have like a mini argument towards the end. You'll hear it in full, so without recapping it too much more, I, it was just, it was just fantastic. Bob, uh, your thoughts on this interview? Oh, where to begin? I mean, <laughs> I mean, can you tell me your thoughts on Jerry Bolander? We're not going to talk about that. Let's, let's, let, you know, what? <laughs> and then just, I mean. Oh my God, what an interview this is. I mean, just the, how is Scott Ferrozo a pretty boy? Like, I mean, like, what, on what, like, all the other stuff kind of sort of made sense. And there's a great bit later on where Ty Cowett just says, yeah, he failed the medical, he couldn't make this show. But, I mean, the, the whole thing was, was basically a staged interview. Let's be honest about that. The interview was there on it just as much as he was. The whole thing was planned, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But my God, Scott Ferrozo, what did he look like? And the, the kind of, the he looked amazing. The, the creamy gold jacket and suit with the black shirt, and then the Del Boy style chain, and then and then <laughs> sunglasses. And right at the end, the interviewer goes, "What's with the sunglasses? They're not sunglasses. This is eyewear. What a wanker! <laughs> brilliant, brilliant stuff. Fucking funny. Yeah, Tom. What, any anything else to add on on, on this promo? No, I just no, I, I agree with Bob, and uh, the the end made me laugh when he's like, you know, I should be on this card, and he turned around to the, it was such a pro wrestler. He turned around to the crowd and he goes, listen to him, listen to him. And there's a couple of people going, yeah, yeah, but you know, and then they they, they said then they showed the, the the UFC girls, the Octagon girls as well, and they said that, that it's, he, he's saying that they're talking to him, but I don't think they are. And it's like he lived in this bubble. And when Bob said about him be, saying that he was a, pr- a pretty boy. What he said was, uh, uh, before that, he said, they don't, don't want me in there. They want these pretty boys in there. They don't want me in there, a guy that's real and a guy that's got things to say and a guy that's got the intelligence. Uh, and then he went on to say, and a guy that, that's this pretty. So I think it was a reference to, to that. But, yeah, just just what a, what a legend. What a legend. This was amazing. He cut a great promo after he beat Tank Abbott at the last UFC as well. Uh, so it is a shame that he couldn't make this card because I, I really enjoy Scott Ferro, though. He, he's fantastic. 
I don't, if you'd have um, made this car, we wouldn't have got this promo. So, yeah, be careful what you wish for. That's true. That's true. Well, I hope to see him fight in the near future, then. I hope he can make his way back on for UFC 12 or 13 or whatever it is. This promo was magnificent, as you both say. Uh, with that, it's time for our second second and semi-final. It's Don Fryer versus Mark Hall. Mark Hall is in, replacing Chemo, who has withdrawn from the tournament due to exhaustion. Bob, over to you. Don Fry enters this semi-final with a 7-1 and record facing his second rematch of the night. Uh, it's actually not his second, it's his third rematch against Mark Call. They faced each other about three weeks prior to this show in Japan. Fry won that as well. Uh, more on that Japan show in a bit. <clears throat> We've got another fight review from that as well. Uh, his opponent, uh, so, and Fry weighs in at 217 pounds. His opponent, an alternate replacing Kimo, Mark Hall, ends this fight with a 4 and 2 record in the UFC, uh, and an 0 and 2 record against Fry. At UFC 10, he lost to Don Fry in a 10 minute, 21 second war. He weighed in at 189 pounds. Yeah, as Bob said, they, they fought twice before, um, Mark, uh, Don Fry picking up the win in both fights. The length of the last UFC fight at UFC 10 between the two is significant as there is some controversy surrounding this fight. So we get going. Paul comes forward into the clinch immediately, but Fryer grabs him and is able to get the takedown comfortably. They stand again quickly, but Fryer grabs a leg, drops down, and is able to lock in a heel hook for the submission victory after just 20 seconds. Uh, Mark Hall looks in real pain here, and Paul Valens appears and helps Hall out of the octagon and to the back. Uh, Bob, thoughts on this really quick fight? Yeah, the fight wasn't really much of anything. Um, Hall just walks into a takedown and then Fry scooted into position he what should have been in about six months ago uh, and tapped him out. But as you say, interesting bit of controversy around this fight as both these guys are in the same camp. Um, and so there was a bit of thought that this might have been a thrown fight. But if, if Fry actually managed to do some damage to Hall's leg, then it probably backfired. Tom, over to you. Yeah, this fight stank for me. I um, I didn't believe it. Um, I, uh, I've never seen Don Fry try and apply an ankle lock or a leg lock before. Um, certainly not straight off the bat. Uh, and w- I watched it a couple of times, and and because it was so quick, it was only twenty seconds, I think. And when you watch it, there wasn't a single strike landed, um, and it just stank. Uh, Mark Hall just just didn't didn't throw anything. Uh, fell to his back with very little impact, almost like it, it, the whole the whole thing felt felt staged. Um, and yeah, I, I, I didn't like it. And I, I felt it was a bit of an insult to the um, the danger and the ability of, of, of Don Fry, to be fair. Um, so I don't have a lot else to say about it. Yeah, um, not much to say about the fight. Um, just more about the controversy that surrounds it. Mark Hall later went public stating that uh, they were in the same camp and they shared the same manager. And that manager and Don Fry came into his dressing room shortly before this semi-final and they convinced him to throw it. Um, Hall says that Fry said he was deeply concerned that Tank Abbott had advanced to the final so quickly, winning both his fights. And Fry had been in there for over 11 minutes in the quarterfinal alone. Uh, previously at UFC 10, these guys had fought for nearly 11 minutes with Hall valiantly holding on. That was the fight famously where... Fry was pummeling away and you could hear the audio of uh, Fry telling him to quit and Hall says, I can't, I, I won't, I can't, or something to that effect. The camera picks it up really clearly. Um, so, yeah, with that having gone so long, Fry was concerned about this being a repeat. Um, and because he'd defeated Hall twice before in recent months, uh, 
Hall losing again was unlikely to impact his career negatively in a significant way. Hall says he reluctantly agreed to go through with it. Um, and Big John McCarthy has also commented on the controversy about this in his autobiography. I've got a quote here from that. He said, this was the second time in my life I felt I had been refereeing a fixed bout in the UFC 10 fight where I had to beat the piss out of Hall, who refused to give up. Here, though, my ankle locked him to advance without breaking a sweat or throwing a strike. It struck me as really odd, for I was a bread-and-butter wrestler and a swing for the fences puncher who had never won a fight in his life with a leg lock. Hall practically fell into the submission. It struck me how significant it was that both fighters are managed by the same guy. So, uh, yeah, that's the quote from Big John. Um, a bit of a black mark, really, um, on this show. Uh, I mean, it's just a massive negative to see. I mean, Don Fry has always maintained that it's not true, but, uh, and, uh, I mean, you, you can, you can watch the fight online, make your own mind up, but I think we're free for free and it's certainly seeming a little bit suspicious in this, yeah, it's certainly a bit suspicious. Certainly something up with this one. You're going to throw a fight, make it look good, right? Isn't that, isn't I that mean, a thought? It's a I mean, I mean, approach, but there was some excellent selling, pro wrestling style selling from Paul at the end. He was screaming in agony, um, holding his leg after the end of the fight. They had to get Paul Valens out there and drag him to the back. I mean, if 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 it, if it was all fake and he was putting that on, then. There's certainly a few, a few wrestlers in the WWE in the modern day who could learn a thing or two through uh, watching Hall at the end of this fight. Uh, yeah, so we move on to the final of the Ultimate Ultimate. Uh, Bob, over to you for the final fighter introductions. Yes, well, this is uh, immediately prior to this, we get the, the promotion ahead of the next UFC show. And the commentator does call them the little guys when talking about the guys in the 200 pounds and underweight division. Might as well just call them the little midgets, I suppose. Anyway, the final, Don Fry versus Tank Abbott. Fry enters the UFC Ultimate Ultimate Final with an 8-1 record weighing in at 217 pounds. His opponent, Tank Abbott, enters with a 6-3 a and three record weighing in at 273 pounds. So this is the final, the winner receiving $150,000 and a shot at Dan Seven's UFC Superweight Championship at UFC 12. Fry comes out looking to box, but Tank comes in and catches him on the chin with a left jab, sending Fry staggering backwards and tumbling down. Abbott obviously smells blood early, then closes in looking to finish the fight. Fry is able to get to his feet and both men exchange wild punches. Tank gets the better of this exchange and Fry is busted open badly. Fry looks like he's in serious trouble here and Abbott continues to land bombs. I really have no idea how Don Fry is still standing. This is an absolute slugfest. Suddenly, Tank throws a punch but slips and he misses. Fry quickly pounces on his back. The crowd are going wild. Fry is able to sink in a rear naked choke and Tank Abbott taps out after just 1 minute and 22 seconds to crown Don Fry the ultimate, ultimate 1996 champion. Tom, your thoughts on that great fight? What a main event. <laughs> Fucking hell. I mean, a minute, 22 seconds, and it was chaos. I loved it. It was amazing. Um, both men came out of the bat with their with their hands up, looking to... And uh, Fry was caught with a left, which tanked through, and it rocked him. And it really surprised me, actually. I thought at a point in here that Tank actually might get the W. Because, um, oh, Fry's chin... 
I think we know at this point that he's got a chin. But my God, he got hit with a couple of absolute hammers and he took them uh, and, and took them really well. I, uh, I'm, I'm so impressed with, with Don Fry every time we see him. But this is one of the, 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 the best cases to say, you know, you're great fighters. They've got all in UFC. Again, we're talking 20 years ago here, but he's got great. He's got a great ground game, great stand-up um, offense. When he's on the ground, he can hit hard, and he's also got a chin from hell. That you know, Tank, no one really at this point in, in, in the UFC hits harder than Tank Abbott, um, considerably anyway, and he takes it. Uh, so for a minute of action, it's something that I could watch. 20 times over it was fantastic and absolutely the right winner um but fair play to tank as well he he got it was a it was a for the minute and 22 that we had it went up and down enough to make it a fight worth watching again and again brilliant well over to you on that one what a fucking fight oh the bell rang they ran towards each other and they just started wildly throwing tank rocks in with this great shot fry staggers back into the cage Tank pounces and just keeps on going and going and going and, and fry. I mean, this is like his chin. I mean, Christ, I just kept wearing punches and wearing punches. And he, you know, it is a bit of a shame that Abbott essentially lost because he slipped over. And I don't want to trivialise what Fry did. And it was also quite noteworthy that in, in a show where crowding onto the fence was no longer allowed, from that point where Tank slipped over, Fry jumped on top of him and then grabbed onto the fence to completely rotate his position so that he was basically parallel with, um, parallel with, with Abbott rather than kind of on, uh, in a side mount. Um, but that all being said, what a fucking fight. I mean, as Tom said, it was 80 seconds and it was manic. Um, and Fry, for the luck he got from, well, you know, being able to quote unquote skip his semi, if you want to call it that, have an easy semi. And from the luck he got with Abbott slipping over, wore so many punches in this final. You can't call anything about this tournament victory lucky, I don't think. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, just, just to add there, I, I think that the uh, what we talked about earlier about Tank being the the bad guy and, and Fry, I did take the position of the good guy here. When when Tank floored Fry at the start with that left, there were people screaming in the crowd, uh, and you know that when that's happening, you you you've got people hook, line, and sinker. Um, so yeah, I, I, I could talk about this eighty seconds all day, but I won't, Chris. <laughs> no, you're, you're both exact uh, entirely right. This was an incredible fight. I can't believe uh, Don Fry's chin in this fight. I can't believe he didn't go down uh, before uh, Abbott slipped. It, the, the, the chin and the heart he showed, and as soon as Tank made a mistake, or not even a mistake, as soon as Tank was as unlucky as he was, Fry capitalised it immediately. Capitalised on it immediately, and it paid off in the biggest possible way. Um, this was an amazing main event, and top to bottom, this was one of the most fun. UFC shows we've covered looking back. This was, this is really great. Um, and this fight was the perfect way to end the night. It was a great main event. But with that, we, uh, move on. We have some post flight interviews. Uh, Don Fry, he basically just confirms that Tank Abbott does in fact hit like a Matt truck. He says that Tank is an animal and he thinks that he probably has a broken hand by t- punching Tank in the head. That's the general gist of that one. Tank is backstage. He is basically asked if he respects Don Fry following that fight, and he replies, nah, I don't respect anybody. Fair enough. 
With that, we come to the end of the show. Uh, we finish with a plug for the upcoming UFC 12 pay-per-view, which now is scheduled to feature Dan Seven versus Don Fry. But as we know, that does not happen. Don Fry has now fought his last ever UFC fight. So with that, that's the end of the show. So uh, we'll come to Bob first for your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Yeah, I mean, essentially, Fry's retires after this. I mean, I'm looking at his record on Wikipedia. It does have a fight in 97 for the Unified Shoot Wrestling Federation. Don't know much about that. But this is his last fight other than that until 2001. Last fight in the UFC. Um, and yeah, what a way to go. What a show. Um, you know, we, we talk about two semis. I mean, we got... Uh, a noteworthy fight in one sense due to a fight that may well have been thrown and we got a noteworthy fight in another sense due to one of the most spectacular visuals you'll ever see um, but we also that probably helped the overall show in that if Abbott and Fry had gone through two grueling semis we'd have kind of got what we had in July two guys in the final that had just bucked um, so those semis helped the show. This is a fantastic show from four really, really good quarterfinals, two significant in their own way semis and a barn burning final. I'll give this show an eight and a half out of ten. Tom, over to you. Yep. Um, largely agree with Bob once again. I thought that it was an enjoyable card from start to finish. I thought that we had uh, the quarterfinals were exceptional. Um, the final was was uh, incredible, as I've already touched on, and uh, Don Fry just demonstrated why, in my opinion, at this point, he's the best overall fighter that the UFC has um, at this stage. And yeah, I, I, I think you know, you look back at the cards that we've seen before. There was usually a couple of fights that you'd say, okay, if they if they if they were uh, give them a, if they had another couple of stars, this this whole card would pushed up to an eight or a nine. But the, the only sour point in this for me was the semi with the, the issue with Hall, Hall versus Fry. Um, and that's the reason why I would give it a nine. Uh, but I'm going to drop it down for that because it really sickens me to watch things like that. Um, and I would go with an 8.5 out of 10 as well. But no, fantastic show. I, re- I really enjoyed it. Yeah, this this was great. Um, I feel like I say this most times we do a UFC show, but probably the most I've enjoyed watching, watching UFC back for this for this project um i mean when you look at the semi-finals we missed out on uh because of withdrawals we would have had fry versus chemo and abbott versus shamrock like and you lose out on those two fights and it's still fantastic like the, the semi-finals so noteworthy one one because of is one of the few times there's been controversy about there being a fixed or thrown fight within the ufc and the other for an all-time great highlight real knockout. Um, the, the quarterfinals were all great. And then that final was the fight, my personal fight of the night. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I could have given this a 9 out of 10. I really enjoyed this show. Uh, to wrap up the last little bit of chat on uh, UFC Ultimate Ultimate 96, I'll come to you first, Bob, for your fighter of the night and your fight of the night. Okay, we're going to do some more of these awards in a minute. Fighter of the night. Um, it could only be one of the two finalists. Um, I'm going to give it to Tank Abbott because just because he's so fucking good to watch. I mean, there's a, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Don Fry, and I like to think it's not to do with the semi either. 
But what a fucking performer Tank Abbott was to, 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 you know, just, he's, he's so good to watch. That's the thing with Abbott. He's not necessarily a great all-round MMA fighter, but he's fantastic to watch. Um, and the fight of the night, um, there are a few contenders actually, but the fight of the night is Don Fry versus Tank Abbott, uh, cause that is, 80 seconds of absolute carnage. The, the, the honorable mentions of the two long quarterfinals with, with Fry and Goodridge and with chemo and violence, um, in their own way. The fight of the night is the final. Tom, your two fight of the night and fighter of the night. Yeah. So we're 2-2 two, two on the main event in the fight of the night. I agree with Bob as well that there are other fights on here that are, would, would potentially on other cards be worthy of being fight of the night. Um, but that main event summarised uh, a, a really good tournament, actually, to that point. I mean, there, there weren't any particularly long and technical fights that you would consider classics. But for, for you know, for, for punch and impact, um, this card's right up there with the ones we've seen so far. And Fighter of the Night, uh, I've, I've, I've been struggling with this one ever since I finished watching it. And even now we're talking about it. And I've, I've changed my mind. I originally had it written down that I was going to give it to Don Fry. But I've reread a quote that Tank Abbott said in his, his post-fight uh, interview after the main event. And they said, what are your overall thoughts about getting the loss here then, Tank? And he said, I don't care. I'll have a cocktail and maybe get in another fight later on tonight. What a hero. And for that for that quote and for that heroic line, I'm going to give Fire of the Night to Tank Abbott. What a fucking hero. Yeah, well, without the need to speak on either for any great length, agree with both of you. Fighter of the night for me, Tank Abbott. Um, maybe a, a lot of that, or not a lot of that, but what swings it from being the winner of the tournament, Don Fry, is probably that semi-final and the controversy surrounding it. Whereas Tank Abbott had three great fights here and his promo work was on point as ever. And fight of night, of course, the main event with the honourable mention for the two uh, longer quarter finals. Uh, special uh, sort of significance and noteworthiness of the Tank Abbott KO on Steve Nelmark as well. This show, I would say, more than any other we've done on this podcast, go back and watch this one. It's on Fight Pass and it's, it's great. So before we move on to our end of year discussion, you may recall that it was said during our fighter introductions that chemo Despite being 0-2 in the UFC heading into this tournament, he's 5-2 and in MMA. His most recent fight before the Ultimate Ultimate took place on the 17th of November 1996 in Japan, and it was versus none other than Scott Bigelow, who you may know better as Bam Bam Bigelow. As a little bonus for this month's show, we've decided to review that fight for you. It's Bam Bam's one and only MMA fight. It takes place in the U Japan promotion. He's since claimed that he earned over $100,000 for this fight alone. So let's see if he earned that money. The fight begins. Kimo charges forward out of the gate, looking for the takedown. Bigelow tries to sprawl and manages to stuff it. Despite this initial blocking of the takedown, Kimo powers his way through and is able to get the takedown and get full mount. He drives Bigelow backwards, so his head is pressed against the cage. Kimo pushes up and begins to rain down with hard left hands, which have Bigelow squirming to defend, but to little avail. Bigelow is cut quite badly here. Kimo pushes up again and methodically picks his shots, this time thundering down with right hands, most of which land flush. Bigelow is bleeding a lot, 
And he rolls to his front to try and avoid the punches, giving up his back and neck. So Kimo sinks in a rear naked choke to earn the tap out victory after just two minutes and 15 seconds. I come to you first, Bob. Thoughts on Bam Bam Bigelow's one and only MMA fight? I suppose if you're a you're a big wrestler, the one thing you you know if you want uh, an introduction to MMA, Kimo Leopoldo is not the guy you want to be facing. Um, yeah, this was a bit of a massacre, wasn't it? Really. Walked in, got taken down, got overpowered by the much smaller guy, and then Chemo just you know, rained down with shots. It took a while, took a few minutes um, for him to find his opening, but once Bam Bam was on his back, he didn't look like he had any idea what he was doing, and that's not a shot at him. Bam Bam's not a not an MMA guy, um, but yeah, just an interesting little kind of side note to do on the show. And as I said earlier on, this is the this is also the show where Mark Hall loses to John Fry as well. That was the same night. So many thoughts on the Gamo Bam Bam fight. So we live in a world now where we've seen um, the transition from pro wrestling to MMA happen uh, more. And I think back here, this is one of the first times that it, that it happened. And I felt really sorry for, for Bam. I'm going to call him Bam Bam because that's how I know him. I felt really sorry for him in this fight. Um, I thought from the moment they came out, he had this look in his eye where he thought, I'd, he, he seemed to me to be saying, I don't really know what I've got myself into. Um, and he never was really able to, to demonstrate anything um, off the bat, and he got battered, really battered. Like the, the blood coming from his face was um, pouring down his cheek. It was re- really horrible. Uh, and I, I, I just, I thought to myself, you know, this this demonstrates that the transition from one to the other might not be so elementary as people may have believed back back in 1996 i don't know uh, without having been around at that time i don't know whether uh it was deemed as actually they're quite similar or whether it was just bam bam thought you know what fuck it i've got i've got, I've got the the train a little bit of training I, I can brush up on that and you know bam bam is considered to be one of the the, the tough guys he, he's one of the most in my opinion the underrated uh bad guys in in pro wrestling history and just to watch this happen the way that it happened I didn't enjoy it. Uh, I felt, I felt, you know, quite sorry for him. I thought that Kimo was holding onto the cage for a lot of it, keeping him down, didn't let him move. But Bob's right. He was, he was overpowered. The strength was there. And the, you know, it, it was, it was, I found it quite disheartening to watch really. Um, but you know, these, he obviously wanted to try it and he did fair play to him. And it, but it didn't work out. No, uh, this is just another fight on the list that you can add that a significant weight advantage isn't enough to make up for. A significant skill deficit, um, and that's not a, a, a particular shot at uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. He's he's just not an MMA fighter, and, and Kimo very much is. Um, he didn't really know how to defend a takedown properly, despite being the much larger guy. He didn't really know how to block the punches properly. He just sort of threw his hands towards Kimo to. Uh, he gave his back up, which I mean that's. The fight's ending the moment you roll over onto your front in that position and Kimo takes you back. Um, but, on the other hand, he earned a pretty good payday out of it. So, who's the real winner here? Um, that's what we've got to ask ourselves. Um, but, yeah, it's just an interesting side note um, to go back and have a look at this. Um, we live in a world now, as you say, with CM Punk having fought in the UFC. You can't take pro wrestling guys and put them in a MMA environment and expect them to thrive without them already having 
that athletic or combat sports background in the same way that someone like Brock Lesnar did. Um, and Bam Bam necessarily it, it would, would fit more in the category of someone like CM Punk who, who didn't really have the combat sports background to be able to give a proper uh, account of himself in an MMA fight. So it was just a, uh, a little bonus uh, fight for us to review, uh, taking a look at another pro wrestler, one of the first examples of a pro wrestler entering the world of MMA. Uh, so with that, we move on to the final section of this month's podcast with our end-of-year discussion and awards. We're going to have three categories to discuss, which is finish of the year, with knockout or submission, whatever they may be, fighter of the year and fight of the year. Each of us will nominate a couple of suggestions for each category before opening it up to some group discussion and a vote to decide the winner of each award. In the unlikely event of a three-way tie as host of the show, my vote will be the deciding factor, so a lot of power here. Um, we'll probably start with what will be the quickest of the three awards for uh, the UFC in 1996 with the finish of the year. Uh, Bob, would you like to put forward your nominees for finish of the year? Yes, well, I do actually have two, um, but in the sense that I'm, I'm not really sure Tank Abbott and Steve Nelmark, you know, finish or more aftermath of the year. That gets its award for that. Um, but the other award, uh, the other nomination uh, is Gary Goodridge and Paul Herrera uh, from February, where Goodridge crucifixed both his arms and then just hammered away with elbows. Um, that That could win finish of... UFC all time for me um, but yeah Gary Goodbridge and Paul Herrera Some. So I have three nominations, uh, two of them uh, are the same as Bob so I would uh, put forward Tank versus Nelmark uh, it, it was just the TKO from hell so um, it deserves to be in here for just for that reason um, and I've got Paul Herrera versus Gary Goodbridge as well. The, the, those elbows to the head and the way that he locked his arms. He pinned one of his, he pinned one of his arms between his legs and used, Goodridge used one of his other arms to pin, um, Herrera's other arm and he just rained down those elbows on his head and it's just, oh god, every time I watch it, it makes me cringe and it's just, oh, incredibly brutal. Uh, and the other one that I've got because it was a personal, you know, one of my favourite fights of the year and I, I liked the way it ended was, um, Don Fry uh, versus Bateshi at uh, uh, UFC 9. Uh, if you recall, this was the one where the, the movie's now banned in UFC. Um, but Fry was landing those elbows to the base of Bateshi's spine uh, and just absolutely, just just almost crippling him at that point. Uh, and, and it was really just Don Fry punishing Bateshi for thinking that he could step up and uh, and fight at his level for me. And it's just a great, it was, it was just a great demonstration of Don Fry's dominance this year. So I wanted to put that one in as well, but those are my nominations. I wish you hadn't reminded me of those elbows to the space of Bateshi's spine. <laughs> Not just that, the knees to the top of his head as well. I watched that fight oh. yesterday. That's a that's an ugly fucking fight, that. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I, I had two nominations for this one. They were the same two as Bob, Tank Abbott versus Sadiq Nelmark for the uh, highlight reel knockout and Gary Goodridge with those crucifix elbows. I think unanimously here we'll probably... We can, we'll go through and do the vote anyway. I'll, I'll, I'll kick things off. My, as, as Bob says, probably my favourite finish I've ever seen from any, any MMA or UFC fight, which would be Gary Goodridge and Paul Herrera with the crucifix arrows, uh, cru- crucifix elbows from UFC 8. 
Uh, Tom, your vote? Yeah, I'm with you, Chris. Good Richard Herrera. And- yeah, good Herrera. That that could stand up in a in, in an all time nomination. I'm sure there have been others, but that's that's right up there. But for '96, definitely. So your 1996 MMA finish of the year, we have Gary Goodridge versus Paul Herrera from UFC 8. Make sure you check that one out. It'll be easy to find online. Um, yeah, truly remarkable. So we'll move on now to our Fighter of the Year nominations. Tom, kick us off with yours. Yeah, so I have got three nominations, uh, and they are as follows. Don Fry, for reasons that I have alluded to in every show that we've done, uh, I, I think I've got a, a, some sort of man crush on Don Fry. He's fucking awesome. Uh, and my second nomination is someone else who's been mentioned a lot on this podcast, Tank Abbott. Um, someone that actually threw all the bravado of I don't give a fuck and I'll do whatever I want actually has got to two finals. He's actually a very good fighter uh, um, and he can punch like a fucking bus. So, um, yeah, uh, his commentary at, on, on UFC 10 um, was just, I mean, he deserves to be in here for that. It's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. If you just listen to, to the commentary that he gives in the in the main event. Um, but yeah, those are the, that's my second nomination. And my third one is for Mark Coleman, um, because I think that at UFC 10, he demonstrated, uh, a lot actually. He, he, he brought in a caliber of UFC fighter that we hadn't seen before, where, um, he, he came in with the wrestling background, but a wrestler with such good ground game, it can be absolutely devastating. And, you know, th- th- we talked about it at the time, but it's such a shame we didn't get to see more of him, um, uh, than we did, but, a hell of a performance at UFC 10. And, you know, for the, that performance alone, I'm putting Mark in as my third nomination. Bob, your nominations for Fighter of the Year? Quickly, Tom, Abbott only, uh, only headlined, headline was in the final of this show this year, right? He was only in one other show in 96 anyway. He, uh, yeah, he did, the, uh, he did um, get to the final of another tournament. I just, I don't know which one it was because the commentators talked about it during this one. UFC 6, 95. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so technically, technically, wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be allowed to be counted in this nomination. But yes, um, I think for Abbott, a guy who started the year having been suspended following getting into a fight at a UFC show, but not being on the card, like there's there's an aura around this guy that just shit just seems to follow him around. Uh, my two nominations. Um, we'll come on to it more in a sec. Mark Coleman and Don Fry. Uh, yeah, my nominations, uh, uh, Mark Coleman for his incredible debut year. Looked unstoppable in effectively every fight he's had. Finishing the year 5-0. and uh, I mean, that, that fight against Don Fry was magnificent and the way he, he took Don Fry apart in that one is, will, uh, live long in my memory. Uh, the, I also have Don Fry who won the David versus Goliath tournament, clocking in just three minutes and seven seconds, uh, fighting time, winning that tournament as a David. Won every fight this year, apart from when he came up against Mark Coleman. Uh, Don Fry was certainly impressive. And I'm also with Tom on Tank Abbott. Um, I thought he was great uh, on this show. Uh, Even if he hasn't been fighting, the commentary at UFC 10 was fantastic. He's been uh, box office in the octagon just as much as he has been out of it. Um, So they're my three... Uh, nominations for Fighter of the Year. Bob, would you like to kick off the voting this time around? 
Yeah, just quick comments from me before I do. Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of show my hand while I do. Coleman's had a fantastic year, 5-0. and uh, Looked the complete package. I look forward to seeing him in 1997. Um, but for me, for having won two tournaments, even though Coleman beat Fry in the time they met, we're going to discuss that. Well, I'm going to nominate for Fight of the Year in a sec. But I've got to nominate, I've got to vote for Don Fry. One, two tournaments, finest in another, looks a complete package, and just, you know, good on. Tom, your nominate, uh, your vote for Fighter of the Year. Yeah, so my vote has to go uh, with Don Fry, I feel, for the year. He has uh, showcased so much skill, so much durability. Uh, and he's fought so many different people as well and just shown that, you know, all challenges are welcome and all challenges will be broken. So, yeah, it's it's not... Uh, to be fair, I, I, Coleman's been impressive, but it's not close for me. It's it's, it's way and away Don Fry as my, as my vote. I went the other way on this one. I, I picked Mark Coleman um, for his debut year. I, I just thought he's, he's a level of fighter with his takedowns and on the ground that we hadn't seen before. And... Considering my nominations had Coleman and Fry on it, I thought I'd let that fight from UFC 10 be the decider. Uh, uh, for me, uh, Don Fry, in, despite winning this tournament, um, that semi-final was a bit of a black dot on his on his record to me. Um, sort of takes away from the year he had, whereas Mark Coleman was fantastic. And the biggest criticism I think you could have of Mark Coleman this year would be Sort of the, the, the how unlucky it was not to have an opponent at UFC uh, t- uh, 11 um, necessarily, but uh, been outvoted for this one. So officially, the uh, MMA 20 years ago podcast, uh, 1996 fighter of the year goes to Don Fry, uh, which I'm sure the man himself will be absolutely chuffed with. So we move on to fight of the year. Uh, Tom, you kick us off with your nominations for fight of the year this time. Yeah, so my three nominations, uh, without going into too much detail of each, because we have um, covered them in previous shows, um, are Don Fry versus Amari Batechi from uh, UFC 9, which we covered in May, um, which was a great fight. Um, I've got Mark Coleman versus Don Fry uh, from UFC 10 in July, which was a fantastic fight. Um, which, you know, if, if you've watched it already, you, you, I guarantee you, you'll, you'll get as much from it watching it again, uh, if you go back and watch it. Uh, and my third nomination is, uh, Chemo versus Ken Shamrock from UFC 8, um, which I, I remember with, uh, Shamrock finishing with an ankle lock. Uh, and, and I, I also recall when the fight started, Chemo absolutely flew at Shamrock with a kick. Um, and it was just a, it was, that was a great fight as well. Um, but those are my three nominations. What your nominations for Fight of the Year? Yeah, kind of, th- this is part of the reason why I nominated Don Fry as Fight of the Year. Fight number one, UFC 9, Don Fry versus Amuri Batechi. That is a war. I mean, that's a war in the sense that Fry just beats fuck out of him. But full credit worth of Batechi for how long he lasted. But some of the moments in that match, the elbows to Batechi's back, as Tom said before, the knees to the top of his head are brutal. That's a great fight. Uh, UFC 10, the final, Don Fry versus Mark Coleman. I, you know, it, I would have loved to have seen these two have a rematch when they weren't both coming in off to quarters and semi-finals. Because this is as much a great fight because both guys are on their last legs when the fight starts. And it lasts about 10 minutes. 
Um, but just for the moment where eight minutes in, like the fight stops twice to, to contend with a cut on over Fry's eye. And, um, you just look at Coleman, he's fucked. And then two minutes later, he tried to throw Fry over the cage. What a hero that was. And then the other, uh, nomination is the match we've just covered. Don Fry versus Tank Abbott, the final USC Ultimate Ultimate for an 80 second war for all the reasons we said earlier on. No, I got three nominations for this one. Of course, Mark Coleman versus Don Fry in the UFC 10 final. As Bob said, the, the, the visual of Coleman, uh, while the doctor's taking a look at Fry, he can barely stand. He's leaning against the cage, hands on his knees. He, he, he can't stand up properly. The action restarts and Fry presses forward looking for the kill. But Coleman just takes him down and Coleman was just well, my favourite fight of the year was Mark Coleman, and this was the sort of the arrival of him because he ran through his two semi-final opponents, and then you put him in there with Don Fry, and it's like, right, now you're fighting the man, so to speak. This is the first real test he had, and he came through with flying colours, and both guys came out of it. Uh, certainly, to me, at the very least, more over to, to still progressing terminology uh, than they had been in the first place through the heart and determination and the quality of that fight. Um, I always, I also had the final from this show, the Tank Abbott versus Don Fry, the, as Bob put it, 82nd War. And uh, I wanted to give an no, honourable mention, not necessarily a nomination, to Mark Schultz defeating Gary Goodridge at UFC 9. Uh, less so because of the fight quality, but certainly because of the historical significance of the fight, with it being Mark Schultz's only uh, MMA fight. And certainly because of the wrestling prowess on show and how he was able to manhandle and control the much larger Gary Goodridge and just dominated him with his wrestling. It was uh, certainly one of the more significant fights and fascinating fights uh, you could watch this year in the UFC. Uh, Bob, you kick us off with the voting this time for the fight of the year. The only one I'm not certain of... um... Yeah, Don Fry and Mark Coleman. Um, I mean, there's been some great fights this year. A lot we mentioned and quite a few that we didn't. Um, but just for two guys that were spent going into the fight that gave their all. Um, and it that was a war. Um, so, yeah, my, my, my vote goes to Don Fry and Mark Coleman for the final of UFC 10. And, Tom, your own vote? Yeah, I echo Bob's vote. Uh, Don Fry, Mark Coleman. Um just uh, two, two of the best um, uh, showing how I, I think the reason again just touching on it the reason why I didn't put the main event from the pay-per-view we've just covered into my top fight was that it only lasted 80 seconds and I really do think that the the, the classic fights and the memorable fights and the ones that should be remembered are the ones that are a bit more back and forth and they showcase what makes each fighter so great um, as, a, as a war so to speak um, I've got to say, that final, I think, fit your description entirely, didn't it? This is about as back and forth as you could get. But I think you were getting it, it wasn't long enough. I think. Well, your... my point was that there wasn't much skill involved, really. Right. There, there wasn't much time for it. And I guess skill is something that we see more of. And, you know, the the pedigree of the different um, martial arts uh, and training that go into MMA is, is, is more clearly demonstrated as time goes on because, you know, the weight classes are put together. But I don't want to get off point. Um that's the reason I didn't include that one. But yeah, my, my vote for this is, is quite a clear one. Mark Coleman, Don Fry, UFC 10. Yeah, three for three. Mark Coleman, Don Fry, UFC 10 final. Um, this was 
a quite a comfortable decision for me. Um, I, I read, I watched the fight back and read through my own notes from when we reviewed the show. And I wrote at the two twenty two minutes and twenty five second mark, uh, Coleman has fried pinned against the cage and continues to land punches hard uh, consistently. And uh, I've written that Big John stopped at least two fights earlier in the night, but probably less, if not the same amount of damage we have seen here. That fight went on for nearly 10 more minutes and Don Fry took a lot of the uh, action and was the more, not more aggressive, but was on top at times in that fight for the following 10 minutes. That was fantastic. And I've already said it, that when Coleman's barely unable to stand without the support of the cage, then come back in and lift Fry's entire body weight over his own head and nearly out of the cage was a stunning visual and a stunning moment in a stunning fight. Um, so three for three means the fight of the year is UFC 10 Mark Coleman versus Don Fry. So it's just the three awards um, we're due for the uh, MMA 20 years ago podcast. Obviously, we've got the finish, Gary Goodridge with his crucifix elbows versus Paul Herrera at UFC 8. Fighter of the year, Don Fry. And as I just said, fight of the year, UFC 10 final, Mark Coleman versus Don Fry. So with the end of year awards, completed. That brings to a close the final MMA 20 years ago podcast of the year. So I'd like to say firstly a massive thank you for joining me and glad to have you back on the show again Tom Martin. Uh, thank you Chris, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a, a great year for, for UFC um, looking back at it and uh, as we know things get bitter, bigger. I was going to quote the D. Ream song but I'm not going to do that. Things do get bigger and better. And um, I look forward to seeing um, where the where the fighters go and how they continue to develop as as we go into next year. Because there are some names that we start seeing next year that will be very familiar, even more familiar uh, to those familiar with the current day product as well. So no, it's been a pleasure. Cheers, uh, Tom. You can be found on Twitter. I can. You can find me on Twitter on Mark Out Martin with a Y. Lovely. And uh, also, as always, thanks again for being on the show and for organising the show and the whole project, really. Uh, Bob Babber. Yeah, we we started these UFC shows as uh, I was between jobs, I think, last September, and I I threw you guys a bone and said, well, there's a, there's a UFC show this month. Do you guys fancy reviewing it? Just as a, what the hell? Um, as someone that had seen bits of UFC shows and really kind of, one day UFC show, I haven't really done anything with it. Um, it's been a hell of a ride since. I mean, you know, I'm paying a lot more attention because I have to to prepare for these shows. But when you get into it at this current level, there's some really, really good stuff on these shows. Some stuff that genuinely withstands the test of time and looks great even in, uh, even in reflection. Uh, enjoy these shows a hell of a lot. Um, thank you guys for helping us out. And as I say, next year, the, the plan is to do more. The plan is hopefully to fill in shows one to six. Um, and as I said, Tom, before we came on air, uh, we're also looking at potentially reviewing the first Pride show as well. So, uh, yeah, hell of a lot of fun in 1996 and a hell of a lot more fun to come. Lovely. Um, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed this year looking back at the UFC. Um, and as, as you both said, a lot more to come. It only gets bigger from here. And it, there's a lot, uh, a lot of fighters yet to debut who debut in the coming years. Household names and a lot of highlight reel knockouts that we're yet to get to. Uh, we've got a hell of a ride to come in 97 and onwards. It's, it's been a blast in 96. 
Um, so I'll just wrap up the podcast. Uh, obviously, this is a volume four of this month's show. Your volume one, you can go back and look at WCW Starcade from 96. Volume two is your WWF, uh, looking at In Your House 12, It's Time. Volume three, your ECW show covering Holiday Hell. This is volume four. Volume five, your wrestling end of year review. And volume six, your wrestling end of year awards. I'll throw over to Bob to plug the website, the Patreon, and all of that. Yes, uh, well firstly my own Twitter, at Bobby Bamba, uh, the website wrestling20rs.com, all the other stuff's on there, iTunes, RSS feeds, blogs, Chris's MMA reviews, also a quick plug, if you listen to our MMA stuff but don't listen to our wrestling stuff, you perhaps otherwise don't pay much attention, if it is of any interest last month, me, Chris and Dan Welling went and reviewed uh, Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield, that's a hell of a show that is uh, highly recommend going back and checking that out um, and yeah, we are also on Patreon for five bucks a month for early access to shows like this and others or you just want to say thank you for for the podcast that we put out uh head to patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 rs links on the website and in the podcast description and chris i'll have about you to wrap up the show lovely thank you bob um yeah i've been your host for this show chris white i thoroughly enjoyed uh, this show in particular but also the ufc in uh, 1996 so thank you very much for sharing the journey back in the time machine with us um you can find me on twitter for modern mma modern day mma and wrestling ramblings at chris white uh, 14 um yeah but that will do for this month's show uh, thank you very much for listening uh, look forward to 1997 and until next time goodbye <laughs>